Do you ever feel confused or overwhelmed when you read the Bible? Do you struggle to find relevance in what you're reading or even knowing where to start? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to interpret and understand the Bible? Windows into the Bible University offers the solution for you. Windows into the Bible University offers college-level courses on the Bible and its world online and on demand. Learn from anywhere in the world, even from the comfort of your own home, providing high-quality biblical education for pennies on the dollar. We help you to understand how to read the Bible using the world of the Bible to help you understand the words of the Bible. The courses at Windows into the Bible University will make the Bible understandable and usable for you. Windows into the Bible University has a catalog of courses available and more being added regularly. We currently have a course on what is the Bible. Our course Windows into the Bible provides case studies that help you to enter the world of the Bible using our four windows approach to biblical understanding. We are adding a course that walks you chronologically through the story of the Bible. We have courses on the parables of Jesus, journeying with Paul through Greece, and more. Coming soon, Windows into the Bible University will have courses taught by other world-renowned scholars and teachers on subjects like archaeology and the Bible and the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're also adding a course on Paul from one of the foremost authorities on Paul in the world. I'm often asked, Mark, do I have to go to college or seminary to learn how to study the Bible? In my opinion, no, you don't. If you want to learn how to study the Bible and become more confident in your ability to understand it, Windows into the Bible University provides a world-class education with a well-designed, focused curriculum that will revolutionize your Bible reading and study. I think it's better than any Bible education program in the country, and it's just $299 a year. That's a lot different than $50,000 a year for college or seminary. $299 a year for unlimited biblical learning. Go to windowsintothebibleuniversity.com. That's windowsintothebibleuniversity.com. You're listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. Reading the Bible with understanding requires reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. This podcast engages the spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual world of the Bible to help transform how you read and understand the Bible. Have questions or want to interact with Mark? Tweet us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. For more insights, information about the podcast, and bonus resources and notes for each episode, visit WITBpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. Do you ever feel confused when you read the Bible? Do you struggle to find relevance in what it is that you're reading? Do you feel like you're missing out on something that the author intended for you to get? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to interpret and understand the Bible? I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. 
Today's episode, we're going to answer a question that actually came in to me via Facebook. And so I want to encourage you at the outset is you listen to this podcast. If you have questions, you can reach us at questions at WITBpodcast.com. You can get at us through Facebook, Instagram, because we want to interact with you. And so I want to read the question that came in because I think it's absolutely relevant for one, where we find ourselves in our world today, but two, it's also so important for us as we begin to engage the world of the Bible so that we can be better stewards of the words of the Bible. So here's the question. In general terms, I found that when there is an emphasis on taking the Bible literally, there is an implied statement that the cultural norms described in the story are endorsed by God. I especially see this as it relates towards women. As I reflect on this, I'm seeing more that while God works through culture, that doesn't mean that he endorses culture. So I would really welcome you addressing this. First of all, thanks for the question. Second, I think that one of the things that we talk about on this podcast all the time is entering the world of the Bible. And just to remind everybody, the reason why we speak about windows into the Bible is the four channels or the four windows that we see that provide entrance into the world of the Bible are physical, historical, cultural, and spiritual. And frankly, the cultural and spiritual windows often prove the most challenging for modern readers of the Bible. Let me explain. When we are reading our Bible and we come across a, a geographic placement, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Rome, Athens. We understand that there's geography there. And most printed Bibles today will include a series of maps at the end of it. So we get that there is some connection between the physical world and the biblical text. Now, whether or not we use those maps, learn how to use them, learn how to engage the physical setting of the world of the Bible. That's a different question. But we get that there is a geographic, physical component to the biblical text. And of course, we have all kinds of resources like atlases and map marking projects and, and so forth. We also get the historical side. Because, again, we will hear reference maybe figures from history, Nebuchadnezzar, Augustus, Herod the Great, Pontius Pilate. And we understand that the Bible is describing historical engagement, reality, and even if it's not a history book per se, 
it's telling its story against a historical backdrop. The challenging two are the cultural and the spiritual windows into the Bible. And really the question that was posed by this individual on Facebook is how do we responsibly deal with the cultural world of the Bible? Now, I remember when I was in my undergrad, and I won't name the name of my institution, but we were taught in our Bible classes that when we read the Bible, there are those commandments that are, and, and those things that are culturally relevant, and then those that are universal. And becoming a sophisticated Bible reader means that you learn to differentiate the cultural from the universal. Nonsense. The Bible in total is a reflection of the cultural world in which it was written. The culture, and as we'll talk about in a moment, the cultures of the Bible bleed through every verse of the Bible. I would argue that if you really want to know what the Bible meant, you have to penetrate through its cultures. But as the questioner raised, there are those who want to take the biblical cultural norms and then almost say, well, this means that God endorses the culture. And we're going to talk about two examples of this today that I think are not only of interest, but frankly relevant. The problem, though, with doing that, just basically taking the culture of the Bible whole cloth and saying that because it's in the Bible that God is endorsing these cultural norms, is that still the person that does this reads the biblical culture through their own lens, through their language, and frankly, through their sets of assumptions. Another trend, though, that is growing in popularity, especially among certain more progressive streams within um, Christianity, is because they reject the biblical norms that are found in these biblical cultures as being out of date, non-modern, or even against modern values. Therefore, what they tend to do is in those biblical passages where those cultural reflections are given, they either interpret them as needing to be reinterpreted or completely irrelevant. Now, the problem also that this group has is that they are also reading biblical culture from their viewpoint. Now, they may be saying, well, hey, I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive to the culture, and I recognize that their culture is not my culture, and therefore, because their cultural values are not my cultural values, 
I'm either left to reinterpret the text or simply to cut it off. And often this is presented as a more sophisticated handling of the Bible, but I would argue that at the same time, those individuals are still reading the biblical text from their cultural viewpoint, their lens, their language, and their assumptions. We must first step into the cultural world of the Bible as best as we are able without prejudice. And one of the things that modern Bible readers tend to do, and, and, and don't feel bad, this is not me saying something that you need to feel bad about, because this is what people have always done, but one of the things that Bible readers tend to do is read themselves into the story of the Bible. And my point is, that's the wrong starting point. We need to penetrate first into the cultural world of the Bible without prejudice, as best as we are able to do. We need to remember that culture, even within the Bible, is going to evolve. The cultural world of Abraham is not the cultural world of David, is not the cultural world of Jesus. The cultural world of Jesus in the land of Israel in the first century is not the cultural world of Paul's communities in the Jewish diaspora in the greater Roman Empire. There's differences. And we must be attuned to those in order to be sound interpreters of the Bible. We need to remember that culture does evolve over time. It's going to reflect the historical events that take place in a life of a people. It's going to reflect the cultural influences that are going to come from outside cultures that all of a sudden are going to be come in dialogue with a certain people group. Let me give you just a quick example of this. We find in the Hebrew Bible Old Testament, in the book of uh, 2 Samuel, David takes this census of Israel, and God gets very angry and sends a plague against Israel. And according to Samuel, God is the one who incited David to take the census. So God incites David to take the census, and then God gets mad at David. I always had a problem with this when I was a kid. We have a parallel version of this story in the book of Chronicles. Now understand that Samuel is written prior to the Babylonian exile, okay, so prior to the 6th century BC. Samuel's written prior to that. Chronicles is written after the return from the exile, so probably 5th century BC. And in the parallel account in Chronicles, after Judaism had come in contact with Persian religion, now the version of the story is that Satan incited David to take the census, and God punished him. And you can ask me, well, which was it? That's not the point. The point is that we find reflective, different versions of the story because we have different cultural realities that are being shaped by the historical process 
and a cultural engagement that the Israelite people are going through. So it's not about endorsing or rejecting the cultural world of the Bible. It's about understanding it so that we can understand the Bible and what it meant. And so, therefore, we have to evaluate the culture of the Bible on its own merits, not ours. And we need to evaluate it recognizing that because the Bible spans a period of time, that it's going to reflect different cultural realities and ideals throughout its pages. And again, we cannot start with reading ourselves into the biblical text. Now, the issue that the questioner raised was particularly dealing with the issue of women. I want to add another one here, because this is another sticking point, but it illustrates exactly what we're talking about, and that is the issue of slavery. Now, let me say at the outset, we are going to talk about these two facets, particularly as they relate in Paul's letters. Okay? And I'm limiting myself there because of both the cultural and historical limitations that I'm trying to frame this discussion on. And usually when we talk about women within the church, everybody runs to Paul. And so that's what we're going to look at. Let me start by reminding us that when we read Paul's letters, we are doing that, reading letters. Paul never sat down and wrote a systematic theology or a complete philosophical treatise on everything he thought about everything. Paul's letters are written to specific people at specific times with specific problems. He's addressing issues that are being raised in these communities. In that sense, when we read his letters, we're reading someone else's mail. One of the brutal realities that we have to face is that actually we know far less about the historical Paul than we do the historical Jesus. So often we are left to try and reconstruct, recreate what are these issues that are surrounding Paul's statements in his letters, because we don't have a full picture. And this is one of the reasons why it's very important that we look into the historical, geographic, cultural and spiritual world of the Greco-Roman world, but also the world of ancient Judaism to try and understand Paul. Now, typically we find Paul making statements in 1 Corinthians 
and in 1 Timothy as it relates to women and their function in the church. And what has happened in various Christian communities over the centuries is they will take his words from 1 Corinthians, from 1 Timothy about women not teaching, women keeping silent, things like this, and they will take them and drop them into their own ecclesiastical order, their own ecclesiastical rulings. Now, to me, that is not simply endorsing the cultural norms of the Bible. That's actually taking the Bible outside of its cultural norms. Because, see, here's the thing that we need to contend with. And let me just state up front that Paul does not have egalitarian views that frame our Western democratic societies today. And we need to be honest with that. And again, that's okay because his culture is not ours. I need to understand him in his culture before I sit in judgment on it one way or the other. And so, nevertheless, those that want to take 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, and make universal statements about women in leadership roles or women in speaking roles or things like this, you have to contend with several things. Number one, Paul mentions in Romans the community of Jesus's followers that was in Kincrea in Greece that was led by the deaconess Phoebe. Also in Romans, he commends Junia, a woman, who he says was even an apostle before he was. And by the way, Phoebe, the leader of the Jesus community in Kincrea, she's the one that brings Paul's letter to the communities in Rome. At the same time, we also hear of Priscilla, another one of Paul's fellow workers in the Lord, who is also with her husband Aquila involved in the instruction of Apollos about the way of the Lord. In other words, we find Paul specifically addressing women that fit within the various taxonomies that he describes within the Christian community. So anyone that wants to take his statements in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy and blow them into a universal rule forever and ever, amen, has to deal with this reality. Now, one of the things to note is ancient Judaism was actually far more open and actually had a far better stance on women than we find 
within the Greco-Roman society, they held women in a, at a higher level. We find inscriptions in the Jewish diaspora which mention women as what is the term in Greek, archisynagogues, the leader of the synagogue. Rabbinic sources even mention female sages who have disciples. Now, that's not the rule. It's kind of an exception, but they were there. So what in the world's going on then when we come across 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy? Well, briefly, in Corinth, this is a community that is basically believers gone wild. It's one of Paul's most charismatic communities, but it's also one of his most chaotic. And he's having to deal with a lot of different issues. And in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, he's particularly dealing with issues of public worship. Now, we don't know all the issues that are going on there. But it does seem that at some level, they are bringing in certain pagan practices that were used in terms of pagan worship into the Jesus community. And Paul, as a Jew, is saying, uh-uh. As any leader will tell you when faced with moments of crisis and chaos, sometimes you have to hit the red button on the, on the assembly line and stop things and put things in place, get them organized, and then you can get it functioning back as it was. I mean, one of the things to note is that within the Greco-Roman world, you often have these female cults. You also have oracles, and many of the oracles, most of the oracles, were women. And it's no wonder that in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's talking about these things like tongues and prophecy and stuff like this. And it's in this context that he also begins to talk about women in the public congregation. But as with all of the issues that he's dealing with, with the Corinthian community, this is specific to the problems that they're having. Now, Timothy is in Ephesus. What's in Ephesus? One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis. Which, if you remember the story in Acts 19, Acts 20, where Paul's in Ephesus, and a riot breaks out, we hear the cry, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Did that have anything to do with Paul's statements in Timothy? Again, we have to assume that Paul is somewhat consistent. And those that want to say, well, his statements in Corinthians and Timothy seem pretty straightforward, pretty clear to me. And you've got to explain to me, Phoebe, Junia, and Priscilla, among other women that Paul commends. And you have to explain to me why he ascribes to them the same taxonomies of leadership that he offers to 
men in the community. Now again, Paul's not going to look at men and women in an egalitarian sense. That's not his world. But before I dive in and just kind of make wholesale statements and rules based on a verse here or a verse there, I need to understand the cultural context. And before I repudiate and reject, quote, the cultural norms of the Bible, I need to understand them. And that leads us to another issue we hear Paul talking about, and that's the issue of slaves and their masters. Now, let's state it up front. These verses were used in the United States in its early years to endorse, promote, and justify the slavery of African-American slaves. And that most certainly is not what Paul or the Bible ever intended. And one of the problems that happened when people did that is they are taking their vocabulary and ideology and culture of slavery and kicking it back into the world of the Bible. And they don't understand the culture of slavery in the Roman world. And I am not advocating going back to that, but we need to understand it. So what was slavery in the Roman world? First of all, let's remember that our democratic ideals that we hold so strongly to in Western um, societies, that was not really the way that the ancient world looked at people. I would just remind everyone that even those writers that speak about the Athenian democracy, like Aristotle, Plato, Aristophanes, Thucydides, they actually were very negative towards democracy because they said that the rule of the demos will ultimately descend into chaos. Rome, of course, starts out as a republic. But one of the things that is fundamentally different with slavery in the Roman world versus slavery in the early colonial America is slavery in the Roman world is not ethnically derived. Oh, sure, slaves may be taken from various populations. For example, after the first Jewish revolt, Jewish slaves were sent all over the Roman Empire. But it was not derivative of a racial superiority. In the Roman world, the worst thing you could be is poor. It was Better to be a slave than be poor in the Roman world. 
pagan religion had no context of charity for the poor. Pagan religion is I do what I need to do so the gods bless my business, bless my crops, bless my family, bless my life. And yeah, that was paganism. No moral responsibility. We actually find reflection of this in a letter that's written in the 5th century AD by Julian the Apostate to these pagan priests. And Julian the Apostate, after the beginning rise of Christianity within the, in the Byzantine world, tries to turn the empire back towards paganism. And he writes to the priests in Asia Minor and says, listen, we've got to start taking care of the poor because the Jews take care of their own. The Galileans, which was his name for the Christians, they take care of their own and ours. And he recognized that the charity and the caring for the poor was something that was foundational to both the Jewish and the Christian communities, but was not a part of paganism. You don't have soup kitchens in Rome. The worst thing you could be was poor. So what often poor individuals would do is they would sell themselves as basically indentured servants and slaves. But it was not even necessarily a life long slavery, but it was a way in which you could climb status within the Roman society. The idea was usually after you served for your master for 20, 25 years, that they would release you, the term was manumission, and you could receive the status of a freedman. Now, if you're patrician, your, your owner was a Roman citizen, he could actually grant you citizenship, which Roman citizenship mattered within the Roman Empire. In fact, during the time of Augustus, there were so many freedmen who were gaining Roman citizenship that Augustus had to enact laws to kind of curtail things because he was afraid of diluting the pure Roman citizen status. So slavery was not, I'm not saying that it was a walk in the park by any means. I'm not saying that there was not brutality and so forth. But slavery in the Roman world was a way in which people could climb the social status and get themselves out of poverty, actually, because the worst thing to be was poor. Now, that's the world that Paul's talking about when he has instructions for slaves and their masters. When he writes the book of Philemon, and he's talking about the receiving of the runaway slave Onesimus back by his owner Philemon. It was not something that was racially motivated or something where an individual was seen as being subhuman. Now, again, this is not me advocating for let's bring back the days of Rome. But what I am saying is that we have to penetrate the cultural world of the New Testament. And what happens in the same way that 
people in colonial America used Paul's statements to slaves and masters as an endorsement of the slavery that was perpetrated on African Americans, that's wrong. That's bad exegesis. But it's equally bad when people today say, well, we repudiate slavery completely, and so we're just going to kind of pit our worldview against the biblical worldview without understanding the essence of it. And by the way, slavery within the Jewish world was even more magnanimous than it was in the Greco-Roman world. Again, I'm not advocating for slavery. Please, please, please hear me. What I am saying, though, is before we allow ourselves to read the cultural world of the Bible through our lens, through our language, through our assumptions, We need to step into the cultural world of the Bible. We need to understand what was the context of these statements. And simply saying, well, some things are cultural and some things are universal, doesn't cut it. The Bible is the product of time, space, and culture. And that's how we have to learn how to read it. So at the end of the day, what I advocate for is us to more responsibly handle the cultural world of the Bible. It's not about endorsing a culture of the past, but it's also not rejecting it simply because it does not fit our modern culture. Understand both readings are equally wrong because we're reading it with ourselves as the center point of the engagement. In order to understand the words of the Bible, we have to enter into its cultural world. This is the Windows into the Bible podcast. I'm Mark Turnage. Thank you for listening. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, I want to invite you to rate, review, subscribe, and share. This actually helps us to grow our audience. So again, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please remember to rate us, to review us, to subscribe to the podcast, and to share it with your friends. One other thing I want to encourage you to do is I actually wrote a book, Windows into the Bible. It's available on Amazon, and this book provides case studies that help you to better learn the four windows, spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual, and how those contexts can help you better understand the words of the Bible. So check it out on Amazon, Windows into the Bible. And don't forget to rate us, review us, subscribe and share. Thank you all so much.
You've been listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. If you have questions related to this episode, tweet them to us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. You can also find resources related to this and other episodes at WITBpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.